0: Luke chapter seven: uh, you wonder how she came to that point. Uh, and we're going to be getting into it in a moment, but, but how did she get to that point where here she was living a life of sin? She was a prostitute. And everybody knew it, and some of the men knew her more than they should have known her. And, and yet, how did she come to that point where she heard about this person, Jesus? And she comes, to, breaks into a, you know, party crashes into this Pharisee's house. The, the one who would uh, reject her and criticize her and condemn her the most. Very uncomfortable to walk into that house and yet she believes in Jesus enough or just has this compelling uh, movement towards him that she wants to do something. And so she comes and, and she does something very humiliating. You know, when we think about... Coming to Jesus, we want to come to the to the real deal. None of us want to be duped or conned or, or in any way, we want what's uh, what's real in our life, and and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we take a look in, in Luke uh, chapter seven. Now, uh, Juan, this is a warning for you. I'm gonna I'm going off script, <laughs> so do what you can with the PowerPoint, and we'll just go from there. Uh, but I want I wanted to to focus in on something because. It's vitally important we get the idea that we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be authentic. Jesus is the real deal. Amen. Now, there have been all kinds of people who have sought to disprove him and discredit him and to, to try to say that he, he's just a, a good moral teacher or he's just a, a, just a person out of history. There have been some, uh, uh, some have even written some books, or, or they started to write books about to disprove Jesus. And, and so guys like uh, uh, Josh McDowell uh, thought, you know, I could just disprove this, this Jesus thing as, as he's, he's some crazy person out there, or he's an amazing liar, or just, uh, and, and he went out to prove that, and, and yet God got a hold of him, and he turned his life over to Christ and wrote this enormous manual of, of full of the facts. It's Evidence Demands a Verdict, uh, talking about answering the questions that challenge Christians today, and Josh McDowell has gone and debated in colleges all over the place that Jesus is who he said he is. And then more recently, um, Lee Strobel, a, a journalist, uh, just couldn't couldn't accept the claims of Christ as being someone raised from the dead, and yet went to investigate that and, and, and wrote the book The Case for Christ. As a matter of fact, we have a class that's starting right now, if you really want to not hear the sermon. Just go out and ask somebody where the class is. There's a class starting right now, and it'll be going on for some weeks. And uh, you can uh, go through this book with them and be challenged with the claims of Christ, uh, because He is the real deal. He is uh, one that we can trust in, and th- because all of life, we we get this. Uh, we wonder what's real. You know, we struggle with that. We we <laughs> we go to the TV and we turn on commercials, and and we. And I know you do because I do. We, we look at those infomercials. You've done that, right? right? Spending way too much time going, ooh, that sounds so convincing. Like the weight loss ones. There's this weight loss one. My wife, Christy, and I looked at and we, you know, we, it, and it kind of made us linger longer because um, it says that you can eat anything you want and any portion you want. Just shake this little stuff on it, and you will lose weight like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah It does. somebody said it doesn't work. Maybe you've tried it. <laughs> That's okay, I've tried some other ones that I'm too embarrassed to share. But we we, we get duped so easily, and and we get conned, and we find out that things really aren't that real. And we want um, honesty and authenticity in our life. We... We want authentic businesses, we want authentic relationships, we don't want imposters. Some of you saw the, the movie uh, Princess Caribou, it's about a woman named Mary Baker who, who uh, uh, in the 1800s just kind of went off and invented this language and said that she was uh, uh, Princess Caribou from uh, Javasu <laughs> and they made a movie about her and then more recently you've known of the one uh, about uh, Frank Abagnale in Catch Me If You Can. Here, this guy impersonated a, um, a physician, an airline pilot, a, a lawyer, and, and, and it was devastating to those people who actually got involved. I mean, it's kind of entertaining when we watch it on a movie and think, oh, that's kind of cool, I can impersonate somebody. And, uh, um, and yet, yet when, when, when we're on the other side of that, we feel less and we feel uh, uh, ripped off. You know, especially if you buy a product and it's not what it says it's going to be, or if you meet somebody. And when I was a youth pastor, numbers of years ago, uh, we had a young man come to our youth group, and he just was troubled. And so, uh, just like this church, uh, uh, there was loving people there, and we loved on him. And Matt came, and he was, you know, just uh, you know, spread his soul to us. And so the people invited him over to his house for dinner and helped him out. He was struggling with his family, and we were trying to connect with his family to understand that, and couldn't get a hold of them. And the reason why is because. He was living a lie. He was really 21 years old, but looked very young, and so was in our high school group, and and just was trying to you know uh, dupe or or, or uh, lie to all these people, and he was successful at it until he finally God just challenged him, and he came to me, Mike, said I'm I'm living a lie, and he just spilled his guts. But it was heart wrenching when that happened. The youth group just felt ripped off. And we have that sometimes even in our own church. Some people say they're this and that and they really aren't and and it's it's devastating and we want the real deal. But not only do we want the real deal, we need to be honest with ourselves. Last week, uh, Pastor Justin challenged us that we need to be authentic with ourselves and authentic to the person that God has made us to be. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to be like that (laughs) where we're living one way and yet lying all the way through. See, we need to be honest with ourselves because the truth is is that God loves you. The authentic word of God tells us that and the authentic person, Jesus, tells us that, that he loves us and he has a plan for our lives, Jeremiah 29, 11. And they're great plans. He has a a dream for us. He has a, um, a desire for us to live life his way. He has a unique call on our life. And He wants each of us to live that, to know Him in a personal way and then to, to jump on this path of, of living life His way. And we want that, and, and we want to grow, and we want to have that kind of relationship like that woman who sat at Jesus' feet and, and, and wept and in brokenness and, and worshiped Him. But how do we get that way? You know, we can look at the greats in life. And I, and I have a number of of people that I admire in life. One of them is, is J. Oswald Sanders. I just, that man was an incredible man and, and a lot of it's because I had the opportunity to meet him. When I was an intern down in San Diego, uh, all of us interns got together and we sat in the living room and we listened to him speak and this man had such a depth of relationship with God. It was incredible. And then, and then many of you know uh, Ruth and Billy Graham. What an amazing uh, people of integrity. That just uh, loved God with all of our lives, with all their lives, and they and they showed it in every action they made. And God used them to influence millions of people towards Him. Uh, and then one of my one of my favorites uh, is, is Hudson Taylor. He was a guy who had a great career in medicine, and and yet um, felt God's call to go over to China, and yet he wanted to go not just to the outskirts of China, but to inland China. And against his mission board, he he took the courage to live. God's unique call for his life, and because of his choice, his courage, millions of people have come to know Christ, and China is is thriving with new believers daily, momently, because it's the greatest mission movement in the world because of a guy like Hudson Taylor who lived uh, authentically following his call for his life and, and a hero of the faith that had such a depth in God. And and then we, we've studied him more now because we have... Uh, we send have missionaries in Ecuador and we send teams to Ecuador. And, and w- Jim and, and Elizabeth Elliott have been such a, um, a, a close personal um, story to us because we've been there. We've, we've, we've seen people who have been saved because of their ministry. But you know Jim Elliott who gave his life the ultimate sacrifice for God. How does someone do that? How does someone do all these great things have done? But even the ordinary people... Like the person sitting next to you in their faith, how do they, they grow in that deep relationship with God? How do they be authentic with themselves and not only attach themselves to the authentic person of Jesus, but also how do they get authentic with their life? How do they do that? Well, in, in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 15, and I know it's a, a lot of verses, Luke goes through and helps us understand how we can reach for Jesus With authenticity. Now we're making a shift. We've been studying the book of Luke for a while now. We've been studying under the title of of To Reach Like Jesus, To Live Like Jesus. And now we're making a shift. We're shifting to to reach for Jesus, to understand Him more, because we're starting to move towards that wonderful season of the Christian faith, uh, the season of Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Uh, gra- reach out your outline that's in, in your worship folder and, and fold it out. Write 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on there. Study that before you hit Easter. It talks all about the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, but, but we're moving this, making this shift to reach for Jesus because we want to understand him more. And each Sunday we'll be looking at some different aspects of Christ as, as Luke unfolds them. So now we're going to jump a little around. In Luke and and, and head towards and spend a lot of time with uh, uh, just uh, looking at uh, that last few weeks of Jesus' life where uh, his brutal uh, trial and and, and, uh, treatment and execution and and his death and his burial and then getting excited about his resurrection, the, the true pinnacle of our faith. See, Jesus is the real deal and and he's authentic and we need to reach for him with our own authenticity. And so Luke here gives us three opportunities to honestly know Jesus. So before we get into that, would you mind standing with me? And uh, let's just pray. I have wrestled with this message all week because uh, uh, there's so many verses in here and I wish we had a, a couple hours to spend together to walk through this. So I'm only going to take a, a couple, uh, just an hour and a half, if you don't mind. Okay. I'm just kidding, if you're new with us. I'm just kidding. But let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, thank you for your word. It's insightful. It's enlightening. It's true. It's real. And God, I believe every word and every page and even the maps. And Father, I pray that you would now, as we launch into this study of your word, Lord, that you would work in our own hearts, helping us understand what you want us to get out of this we can reach for you, Jesus, with authenticity in our own life. So teach us this hour, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, if you uh, would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'd like to give you a loaner. Uh, this is only for loan. Don't steal the Bible. But uh, if you need one, just raise your hand and, and they'll, they'll uh, give you one. And you can look at that. Luke chapter 7, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the, in the New Testament. Um, so open up to the Bible, to, to Luke chapter that. I want to give three opportunities to honestly know Jesus. And this first one is to deal with doubt. Now, I'm not going to read every verse because I really want to focus on the last part of this passage, that story that, that uh, Stephen told us about <clears throat> as we were singing. Uh, so I'm just going to go quickly through the first part of these verses. But they, they are so good for us to understand as we honestly get to know Jesus, that 1st here dealing with doubt. Because even the very godly uh, among us, and even the very godly among uh, Christ in those days, doubts, wonders, questions. Uh, look at John, John, or Luke, chapter seven, verse uh, eighteen. John's disciples uh, told him about all these things. Now, all these things are talking about the <clears throat> what's gone on previously in this chapter. And Justin, Pastor Justin, talked about it last week. That uh, that uh, um, talking about the the centurion's faith there, who who said to Jesus, uh, would you heal my servant girl? And then this woman whose son died and, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And these are amazing things that are happening. And so John, hearing of these things, says to some of his disciples, hey, go, go ask Jesus. Go ask Jesus, are, are you the one who should come or should we expect someone else? In there, John's wondering, is, is he the one? Now this is John. John the Baptist, you know, who baptizes people, who, who came out and he was calling people to repentance. He was standing there, you know, calling people, you brood of vipers, you know, and he was challenging people to come back to God. You've been straying from him. You've been not living as God would want, and he stands there on the, on the, on the shores of the Jordan, and he, and he says, come now and show your repentance by being dunked under the water and then coming up again. And, and all of a sudden, one day, this man walks up, and um, I don't know if, John dropped to his knees, but he recognized who this was. He recognized it was Jesus, whose sandals I'm not even unworthy to untie. And, uh, and he wants to be baptized by Jesus, but Jesus lets him baptize him. And that Holy Spirit comes down in a dove, and the heavens opens up with the words, this is my beloved son. And John still wonders. <laughs> he still says, is this, really, is this really him? Because the truth is, in life, and faith, even the most godly among us at some point wonders, "Is this really right? Is this really true? Is this some made up sociological thing that's that 's gone on that man has has put together that we don 't really understand and and we 've just kind of uh, taken the good parts of it and put it together and that 's what we believe or is this truly real and we wonder and and so John's disciples come to, 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 uh, to Jesus and, and ask on John's behalf is, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And, and while they're doing that, it says in verse, um, if I can read this, uh, the next verse, it says that while this was happening, uh, Jesus was healing the sick and causing the lepers to be cleansed and, and all these wonderful things were happening and, and right then and there, Jesus just gets ticked off and he gets angry and says, how dare John doubt me? It doesn't, say, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Jesus just simply says, go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. That the lame walk, the blind see, the leper is cleansed, and the poor have received the good news of salvation. And when he was saying those things, he was pulling out of the Old Testament the truths, the verification signs of Jesus. Now, they're all over the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah here, and you can write down these verses, Isaiah 35, 5 to 6, Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 18 and 19, I mean, and, and Isaiah 61, 1. Those are signs that Messiah is here. And Jesus says to John's disciples, go tell him all these things are happening. He doesn't condemn John. He doesn't make John feel like a loser because he asked the question. And when we uh, struggle in our faith, we need to do what John did and to, to go to Jesus and, and to, or to seek the answer. And yes, to go to Jesus, go to his word, but, but also go to books like Evidence Demands a Verdict or Case for Christ or those who have studied this and, and, and gain the, the, the facts of that. For as Luke 11 verses 9 to 10 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks or sees and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. See, it's easy for us when we doubt to get stuck. And just to simply get stuck in that, that, that uh, uh, whirlwind of questions. Because we think for some reason, and I don't know why we think this way, but, but when we, we think when we come to faith, that we, you know, we, we pray to receive the Lord, Lord, I believe in you, that all of a sudden, wow! we get zapped full of this holy knowledge and faith that we have it all together. Now I can walk on water. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. See, faith is like a muscle. It needs to be exercised. And we don't automatically just have this, this incredible faith. It grows with us. And how it grows is it grows in the way of of, uh, of of testing and 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 doubting and wondering, and then to do what John did and to seek answers. But we have to know that there will always be mysteries, and even some unsolved mysteries. I, I sat down with somebody a number of months ago and we were talking about this and, and, and they believed the, the whole idea of Jesus or they, they at least intellectually recognized, hey, it would be great to have a savior. It would be great to have my sins. I believe I'm sinful. But yet they, they, they couldn't step over into faith because there was a couple of unsolved mysteries that they didn't get. You know, like how with the, with the flood of the world did we get freshwater plants and animals? That just doesn't make any sense. Because there are some mysteries like that that we don't get. How does it all work? And we don't either understand it because we don't understand the science or even when we understand the science, it doesn't seem to fit. But that's why it's called faith. Faith is the assurance of things not seen. It's, that, it's, that, it's, that, it's going to take that leap of faith at times. We step off into the unknown and go, I, I just believe that God's going to be right and I believe God more than my understanding. Sometimes people they get stuck in this whirlwind or, or this, this circular thought of doubting and they, and they say, well, you know, Jesus is, is not really real. He's just simply a good moral teacher. Just somebody out there that, you know, is, that history has kind of made into this super individual, kind of like reality TV. Because you know reality TV isn't really reality, right? <laughs> it's just simply someone takes a video clip of this and then a video clip of this and a video clip of this and then they put it all together and they, and they make a show, and they say it's reality because it's, you know, it's just, there's, they're not actors, but the producer is creating their character by simply taking snippets of that. You know, if we were to take snippets of your life, we could make you to be anything that we wanted you to be. Just find you doing the right things all the time and put those all together and wow, you're an amazing person. <laughs> and then, and some people have felt that's what Jesus has, that we, we've done with Jesus in history. We've taken snippets of this and snippets of that and put them together and, and, and here he is. But the snippets that we do have don't leave us to believe that he was just simply a good moral teacher. I love what the great thinker C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this A man who is merely a man and says the sort of things Jesus would say would not be a a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg. (laughs) The image of that is fun. Um, Or he is the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either he was and is the son of God, or a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any kind of patronizing nonsense, C.S. Lewis says, about him being some great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. And Jesus is not just a, simply a good moral teacher. He is the Lord, the Savior. He is Almighty God. And he is worthy for us to come like that woman did and to come at his feet and to worship him. John, Jesus told John's, disciple to, John's disciples to report to him what they had seen. What have you seen? What have you seen about Jesus? Is there doubt? Then, then seek it out. Be, be real with yourself. But don't get stuck into that circular uh, ideal of doubting. Move forward with that. Do what John did and seek out the answer. Another opportunity to honestly know Jesus is by developing bona fide convictions. Now, the word bona fide means it's a Latin word, bona fide, which means in good faith or honest or sincere. <clears throat> and to be, uh, we're to develop bona fide convictions to be certain and confident, like John the Baptist, even though John doubted. Jesus says this about him in John seven twenty eight. I tell you, among those born of women. There is no one greater than John. And you can read the rest of the passages. He goes through there and he talks about how John has solid convictions. He's not like some reed that gets blown to and fro. He's got backbone. He's willing to stand up against the Pharisees, against the Romans, against everybody, and call people to repentance. And what he did showed his convictions. And you know how we grow in our convictions is not by sitting. It's not even by just learning. It's by actually practicing our faith and getting out there and facing some resistance. You know, all too often, we in our faith want to keep everything safe. Uh, well, I want to have this safe. I want to be protected from this, and I want to not subject my kids to this, and I want to have everything safe, safe, safe. we have at a radio station that their tagline is, Safe for the, yes, thank you. I listen to that and I go, oh, that's not the idea of Christianity. I was at a conference this past week and and one of the speakers, uh, she was a fantastic motivational speaker and just encouraging and and she dealt with this idea of safety and she says, whoever wants to fall into their grave safely. See, God has given us this unique uh, call in our lives and it's not safe. To be safe is to go against what God wants you to and to, to, to hide yourself in some padded room so you'll never be subject to anything. And if you want to grow in convictions, you're going to have to get out there and do a little things, things that are unsafe and maybe a lot of things that are unsafe. That's how conviction is grown, is through the adversity of being up against the struggles of this world to compare what the world says that we, how we should live and how God says how we should live. And if you want to grow in authenticity, it's going to be found by developing those bona fide convictions, like, like John the Baptist, as he developed them and moved through his life. And it's so easy for us to, to be tossed to and fro. Uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 14 says, we are no longer to be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every teaching and, and every cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings, but we're to do what Second Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 15 says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold the teachings we're passing on to you today, whether by word or by mouth or by letter. Because the way that you develop those convictions and those deep convictions is by getting out there in with persistence and perseverance. Now, you may be the only Christian at your school. You may be the only Christian in a certain class or in your neighborhood or on that club or on that team or or at your workplace, and it's a great opportunity to build those convictions. That doesn't mean you need to stand up and start preaching everybody and 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 pointing your finger at him. But it's to live out godly values, to be His image there, of love and grace and kindness and encouragement. John had convictions. He wasn't like the Pharisees who, uh, who were false in their convictions. They were uh, like the kids that, that verse uh, uh, 30 talks about, who, who if you don't play my game uh, my way, you're not going to play at all. Jesus brings that out in that passage. and he, he goes on to talk about how we need to be not like that, but yet to be honest and sincere and move living life God's way. And to have wisdom god's wisdom which is the fear of the lord proverbs tells us that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and in verse 35 he says that uh, uh, the, the idea that that wisdom will, will find its way out the wisdom of god and that brings us to this last point which i want to spend the rest of our time talking about this is this luke brings out an illustration of authenticity where we can know jesus through practicing sincere worship. It starts in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to his house to have dinner. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life, she was a prostitute, in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and then stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. The scene must have been incredible because it's this woman who, the town knew about that. This was a small town and and people knew everybody and knew that she was the woman who stood on the street corner to lure their husbands and their sons and, and their, their friends into her bedroom. And everybody knew that. And yet somehow compelled to see Jesus. Compelled because of her emptiness. Compelled because she had tried to, to find love and, and, and she found it in all the wrong places maybe even being a little cynical and, and maybe even over into the struggling and, and, and snide in her remarks, but yet empty. She had been abused and used and probably even beaten. And she heard about Jesus, this this amazing person. He had to be the real deal because even sinners hung out with him. They weren't condemned like they were when they, when the Pharisees passed by, or when other people who passed judgment on them, something about him attracted her to him, and so she, grabbing, premeditated worship, <laughs> she grabbed an alabaster flask and made her way through the embarrassment of walking into this house. And she, uh, the house probably was full, and, and nobody probably noticed at first until she all of a sudden appeared at Jesus's feet. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and that this woman she is a sinner." Uh, you could imagine that the the gas that went up when when all of a sudden kind of it's the the crowd parted, and there she was at Jesus' feet, tears and wiping his feet with her hair and pouring that perfume on his feet. The gasp and the talkings, the whispers back and forth and some of the men hiding, because you know why. And the, the host thinking, oh great, here goes my party. And Jesus does something that's completely threw off everybody. And the host. He shares a story and he asks Simon, the the host, he says, <clears throat> let's say there's two debtors and, and one has been forgiven much and one forgiven little. Who is the one that's going to feel the love the most? And then Simon says, well, it's got to be the one who has the great debt. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. And then he lists three uh, ways to sabotage worship and three ways to practice and sincere worship in these next few verses, starting in verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman here? Uh, I came into your house, and you did not offer me water for my feet, and yet she has not stopped wetting my feet with her tears. In this uh, custom and culture, it was... uh, practice that to show welcome to a guest, you would invite them into your house and then you would wash their feet so they would be comfortable and and they would feel uh, clean. Because in those days people walked around in sandals in the dusty streets and all the stuff of the the streets got on their feet and there was you know, camels and donkeys doing their camel and donkey thing. (laughs) And that was mixed in with the things and open sewers in the streets and all that stuff was on people's feet. That's why they had People washed their feet before they entered a house, especially for a dinner party. And it was the 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 custom of the of the lowliest of the slaves to be able to take on the uh, the task of washing people's feet because it was a dirty job. Your feet were your your most despised uh, part of your anatomy. You would hide them when you sat down. That's why they had long robes, to hide their feet. You would never show the soles of your feet to somebody. That was the utter disrespect or or throwing a shoe, which we learned uh, many months ago. Because any part of that part of the body is is considered um, defiled and unclean. And so you wash them. But it was a sign of identification and welcome. And this man didn't show any of that to Jesus. Not at all. But yet this woman, out of her brokenness, showed great respect by washing his feet with her tears. Psalm 51 is a, is a great psalm of David's brokenness towards God as he struggled with uh, his own sin. And he said in verse 17, "The sacrifices God to God are a broken spirit and a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise." You see, to, to uh, have sincere worship is to come to Jesus out of brokenness and humility. Sometimes we we want to come to Jesus as our as our our, our homeboy, <laughs> Jesus as our bro, <laughs> and uh, and we're you know together with him, and we and we get the whole idea of of family and friend, and that's important to recognize that, but He's still our Savior. He's still almighty God creator. And we need to recognize that and to to humbly come before him because we have no right on ourselves. And as we go into communion, we'll, we'll talk more about that, that we don't deserve to be in the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. And we need to come there out of brokenness and that sincere worship to honestly see that. As well, this guy did not even... Give the the customary kiss. You know when you when you welcome somebody. Um, stand up. Girl. When you welcome somebody, come on, up, stand. Up. When you welcome somebody, you shake their hands. If you really are welcoming, them, you give them a hug. Ah, oh, hey brother, how you doing? Now, in other cultures, you kiss. You know, right cheek of person, and then and that's a sign of, of of welcome and acceptance. Yeah, you can sit down there. Thanks, thanks, Vern. Uh, you know, welcome and acceptance. Does it? This person didn't do that for Jesus. Jesus said uh, he said in verse 45, you know, I came in here, you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. Now I hope that resonates with you and I hope it grows on you throughout this week. Because as I studied this and it's been just gnawing at me, would I really kiss Jesus' feet as an act of worship? To be so humbled, so taken by his awesomeness that I don't dare come up to shake his hand or or kiss him on the cheek or hug him. That I am so undone and so humbled that I would kiss the very defilement part of his body with all the yuck and stuff that's on there from the, the road. Would I do that? Would I humble myself that much? And I want you to, know, if Jesus were to walk into our church today, would hey, high five, yeah, all right, not followed our feet, his feet. Sincere worship kisses the feet of Jesus. Lastly, Simon gave no oil of favor, no blessing, or willingness to spend time, money, or attention to Jesus. That idea of verse forty-six of oil, when an honored guest, you would anoint you would pour perfume on them so that they would not only stand out, but they would also smell nice. <laughs> and they would, that aroma would follow them and everybody would know, oh, here's the honored guest. They were anointed with the perfume. And this Pharisee didn't give that to Jesus at all, but yet he says, this woman gave me a wonderful anointing with this costly perfume. Because the truth is, there's no real sacrifice, no real worship without sacrifice. Real worship takes sacrifice. And you can read the rest of the passage that talks about the impact that her sincere worship had on others. The whole party knew about what sincere worship was after that. Because Jesus is the real deal. He's not a scam. He's not a con. And to know him, we need to be authentic within ourselves, honest, And with authenticity, reach for him. Dealing with our doubt, developing those bona fide convictions, and practicing sincere worship like that woman. To welcome him into our life. To be willing to wash his feet and to serve him and to bow before him with humility and then to sacrifice for him, whatever it is that we need to sacrifice sometimes we won't even give up an hour on a Sunday for Him, or we think that that's great sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we uh, think about just this uh, example of authentic worship of this woman, um, I don't know if my heart's always there, and though I want it to be. So Lord, I pray that you'd work not only on me, but each of us. That we would, with sincerity and honesty, follow the path you've given us and know you for you. Dealing with our doubt, building those convictions, and sincerely worshiping you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.